Jennifer vanished sometime in the overnight hours. Right now, there is no trace. Investigators say evidence leads them to believe that she's dead. Stick my nose back on the trail. That's all I can do. This is already gone. Already gone. Already gone. On a chilly January day in 2007, the home of Todd and Linda Sturmer caught fire. The blaze was so large it attracted the attention of neighbors who called 911 around 3.23 p.m. to raise the alarm. A neighbor, Mike, and his girlfriend, Connie, were in their car and leaving their house when they saw the smoke coming from the Sturmer residence. Mike thought he should go and check that everyone was out, and he drove up the long driveway that led to the home. As he arrived, Mike saw a hysterical Linda backing her minivan away from the house and then driving it forward again. When Linda saw Mike, she got out of the van and told Mike that none of her five children were home that afternoon. Mike was walking around a little, assessing the situation, when Linda pointed to the ground, pointing out where her husband, Todd, was lying. Mike had walked past him several times without seeing him. Todd, who was naked save for a pair of boots, was very badly burned. Mike grabbed some clothing out of his vehicle and covered Todd. The local fire chief, Stephen Leach, lived on the same street as the Sturmers, and he was first on scene. He parked his vehicle on the sodden front lawn and went to give first aid to Todd. In his professional opinion, the amount of smoke and fire suggested a very fast-moving fire or one that had been burning for a long time. The deputy sheriff, Tony Evans, arrived at 3.30 p.m. By the time he got there, flames had engulfed the house. Seeing the small crowd of people near the north side of the house, he went over. There, he saw a badly burned Todd with gray sweatpants around his ankles and covered in various items of clothing. As well as the burns, the deputy sheriff noted head wounds. A still, hysterical, and crying Linda was laying over Todd and calling his name over and over again. The deputy saw the minivan parked behind the house, and he went to check it out. The van appeared to be running, and he noticed a red substance on the front driver's side, which he assumed was blood. He then went back to Todd, who was being attended to by paramedics at this point, and helped them move Todd further away from the house and an adjacent oil tank. They used a plastic sled or boat that was on the property to move him. Not long after he was moved, Todd succumbed to his extensive injuries. Although paramedics attempted CPR, it was unsuccessful and Todd was pronounced dead. To understand this story and to go forward, we first need to go back. Come with me to before the fire, before the village of Lawrence, a usually quiet place, made headlines. Linda was born November 16, 1964, and not much is known about her early life. What we do know is that Linda grew up, married, and around 1986 gave birth to a daughter, Ashley, and then a second daughter, Brittany, joined the family a year later. 
Linda and her husband were going through a divorce when, in 1989, Linda met Todd Sturmer, who would become her second husband. Being in the middle of a divorce with two young children isn't necessarily a good time to start a new relationship, but there was an instant attraction between the two, and they started dating. Todd embraced his role as stepfather and treated the girls as if they were his own. He called them his daughters. In the following years, Linda and Todd welcomed two sons, Trevor and Trenton. In August of 1993, Linda and Todd were married, and soon after they welcomed a new family member, Linda's two-year-old nephew, Corey. The placement of Corey in their home was permanent, and Corey was referred to and treated as one of their sons. Todd was, by all accounts, an amazing father who loved to play sports with his kids. But their oldest daughter, Ashley, recalls that behind closed doors, life was not always rosy. Ashley says she remembers the first time Todd's temper got the better of him, and he threw a basket of laundry at Linda. Todd then left the house and went to a friend's home where he proceeded to get very drunk. Ashley recalls all the kids being bundled into the car to go and collect Todd. When they got there, Todd was, quote, drunk and just belligerent and screaming at her, her being Linda. Brittany, Linda's second daughter, said things got bad and she remembers being afraid. When Ashley was around 11 years old, she said she started to speak up for her mom. In response, Todd made her the focus of his abuse. He would verbally and physically abuse her, calling her a two-legged dog and a whore, while saying she was just like her mom. Ashley said she was hit with hands, belts, horse reins, and she had a phone thrown at her head. Linda said in an interview with 48 Hours that she was also a victim of Todd's physical abuse. She recounted a cycle of abuse where Todd would hit her and then apologize with flowers or another gesture and promise that it wouldn't happen again. But then it did happen again. Linda also told 48 Hours that she discovered Todd had an arrest record before they were married, with convictions for misdemeanor drug charges, a DUI, and a conviction for misdemeanor assault and battery when he was 18 years old. However, I want to point out that these charges cannot be verified by our researcher, so these are hearsay. In contrast to the violent picture painted by Linda and her daughters, the Sturmer boys, Corey Trenton and Trevor, said they never saw any physical abuse in the home, or evidence of physical abuse such as bruises. They admitted that yes, Todd had a temper, but explained away their mother and sister's account saying maybe Todd just grabbed and squeezed her arm a little too hard. In 2007, the Sturmers were living on a rural farm in Lawrence, Michigan. To earn extra money, Linda boarded horses on the property. And speaking of money, that was said to be the main issue causing conflict in the home. The marriage was described as rocky. According to an interview that Linda gave to 48 Hours, Todd was $75,000 in debt and lacked the cash flow to pay the bills. Linda said the mortgage hadn't been paid in months and Todd just blew money. Todd was self-employed. He owned a business that sold gloves and clothing used by hunters. But Linda said he didn't sell much and didn't like to work often. She found out he'd been borrowing money from his mother, and she was upset that he would get them further into debt instead of pulling more hours into his business 
and trying to make it more successful. Todd's mother admitted that yes, she and other family members had loaned Todd tens of thousands of dollars. Linda, in contrast, said she was working at a dialysis facility and was earning money from boarding the horses. However, in an interview with the Sturmer Sons, also given to 48 Hours, they placed the blame for the financial turmoil on Linda, saying that she had a $25,000 line of credit for the 31 horses she kept on the property. The Sons said the horses were running them dry. Everything came to a head in the Sturmer household when, on January 6, 2007, Todd found out that Linda was having an affair with a co-worker named Chris. Todd demanded a divorce in a fight that the Sturmer son said was the worst they'd ever seen. According to Chris, Linda had been seeing him, romantically and secretly, for about six months, and the two continued their relationship after the fire and Todd's death. However, Linda said that wasn't true, saying that their romantic relationship only started after she'd been widowed. The day after the fight, the day of the fire, Linda was seen at the local gas station buying items from the store in addition to $11 worth of gasoline. The clerk later said that Linda appeared to be pumping the gas into the rear of the SUV, not into the side where the gas would usually go. From where he was inside the store, he couldn't see if Linda was pumping gas into a container. Linda later said she stopped at the store for milk and to top off the SUV because her sons used the vehicle as well, and she wanted to make sure there was enough fuel for them. While she was pumping the gas, she went to the trunk to get a coat and gloves because it was cold. When Linda returned home from the gas station, her sons were still in bed asleep. Now, anyone who has lived with teenage boys knows how they could sleep half the day. So Linda woke the boys up and gave them some money, telling them to go to the movies with a friend. Linda said she was planning on leaving Todd that day, and she wanted the kids out of the house so they didn't have to see or hear the enormous fight she was sure would ensue. As the boys left, they said Linda was insistent that they go right away, and when they went to say goodbye to Todd, they were told to leave him because he was sleeping. The boys saw Todd passed out in the living room in front of the TV, but at their mother's insistence, they didn't try to wake him before they left. Upon reflection, the sons wonder if he had been sedated and was unable to respond. And this, dear listeners, brings us back to where we started, to the fire, to a badly burned Todd being pronounced dead as he lay outside the house. Now, this was not the first home of Todd's to be lost to a fire. In fact, it was the third. The first home was located in Portage, Michigan, and the second, which he was in the process of buying from his grandmother, was in Three Rivers. Sergeant Scott Leroy, a fire investigator with the Michigan State Police, arrived on scene after Todd had been pronounced dead. He said that he smelled gasoline that he thought was on Todd's pants. However, the neighbors gave a statement saying they didn't smell gas. This could be because a fire investigator is more aware of these things and noticed it. Todd's pants, socks, and underwear were collected and tested for gasoline, along with one of the shirts that the neighbor had covered Todd with an item that was collected in error, but since it was in evidence, it was tested. All of the items were positive for gasoline. The other clothing that was draped over Todd tested negative, as did all of the clothing Linda was wearing. 
Linda was interviewed by the police on January 7th and again on the 9th. They needed to get a picture of what happened in the house between the boys leaving for the movies and emergency services arriving at the home. In her statement, she told Detective Gabrielle Rott that Todd had woken up around 10 a.m. and wasn't feeling well. Despite that, the pair started arguing almost immediately. Linda woke up the boys and sent them off to the movies while Todd went to the living room to watch TV. Linda said that she was in the basement doing laundry when she heard Todd scream. She ran upstairs, saw the smoke and flames, and ran from the house. She said she ran to the minivan, the keys were already inside, and she started the van so she could go get help. As she was leaving, she saw Todd in the side yard engulfed in flames, so she turned the van around and went to help him. She said that when she turned around, she couldn't see Todd, so she got out of the van and quickly found him lying on the ground. Todd's body was taken for an autopsy with the medical examiner, Dr. Michael Markey. The autopsy found that Todd's cause of death was, unsurprisingly, burns and smoke inhalation. However, the injuries he found were determined to be more consistent with Todd having been on fire rather than being surrounded by fire. In addition to the burns, Dr. Markey found four lacerations to his scalp and two rib fractures. He was unable to determine how the injuries were sustained, but he said they were likely from multiple blows, a vehicle, or possibly both. Toxicology results showed the presence of hydrocodone, the opioid found in Vicodin, in his urine. There was no sign of hydrocodone in his blood, however. It shows in urine for longer than it does in blood, and it's possible that he ingested the Vicodin hours or days before he died. While Linda was being interviewed, the home and the area around it was searched. The home, to put it bluntly, was destroyed. An aerial photo taken after the fire shows more than half of the roof caved in, and there was a two-foot-deep layer of debris in the basement. Beyond repair is an understatement. There was only one exterior wall left standing. Fire investigator Leroy determined the fire started in the living room, which is where damage was the worst, and this matched up with Linda's statements. Everything from the floor to the ceiling was incinerated. Leroy concluded, based on the fire pattern and the gas on Todd's pants, that the fire was intentionally set, starting in the living room, and was fueled by an accelerant, gasoline. But because there was no living room floor left to test, he was unable to determine if there was any gasoline present on the floor. A canine search team was called in, but the dogs didn't find any trace of liquid accelerant. Leroy ruled out the fireplace and the furnace as possible origins of the fire. He ruled out an electrical fire due to the amount of flames and smoke that Linda reported. When asked to determine if the gasoline on Todd's pants had been transferred from something, such as the clothing Mike draped on or the sled that Todd was moved on, Leroy said he didn't think it had transferred, and the gasoline on the item of Mike's clothing that was tested was likely contaminated by Todd's pants, not the other way around. Investigators on the property found two things of interest in their early searches. One was Todd's blood on the front bumper and undercarriage of the minivan, suggesting that the car had run over Todd. The second was a gas can in the front yard and two additional cans in a shed. Now, the police weren't the only people who wanted to speak to Linda. 
Private investigators were hired by the insurance company to investigate the fire. In interviews with the investigators, which were conducted on the 9th and 10th of January, Linda recounted the morning of the fire, saying she and Todd argued because she hadn't recorded some purchases in the checkbook, and Todd was mad about it. At some point in the morning, she went to the gas station where she picked up something to eat for breakfast and ensured her vehicle was fueled up. When she got home, she woke up the boys, gave them some money, and sent them on their way, saying she needed space to talk to Todd about some things. Linda told the investigators that she did some chores and took a nap before giving Todd some medication for an ear infection. What she told them next was essentially what she told the police. She said that when she went to the basement to do laundry, she found a towel that Todd had put in the wash pile that smelled of fuel or gas. She said that sometimes the house's furnace needed to be bled, and she assumed that the towel was used to mop up after. She suggested that some fuel had gotten on Todd as well as the towel. This is when she said she heard Todd scream and she went upstairs to see what was the matter. When she got to the top of the stairs, she said the flames stretched from the living room to the main bedroom, and the smoke and flames made visibility low. She did say she saw Todd's upper body on fire. She said she ran to the van to get help, but got out when she saw a flame-covered Todd. She said she tried to get Todd to lay down on the ground, but he wouldn't. Todd was trying to pull off his pants and socks. Linda said she realized she needed help, and she got back in the van but it was stuck in the soggy, muddy lawn, and she couldn't back out. She drove forward to try and get some movement, but it didn't work, and the car wouldn't reverse. She got out of the van again and found Todd on the ground. This is when their neighbors arrived. Linda was asked if she had any opinions as to what could have started the fire. In response to this, she said, I feel like maybe... Todd yelled at me once during the day and told me that nobody else would ever have me, and I just... I think maybe that he meant for both of us to... I don't think I was supposed to be here. Linda told the investigators about the oil lamps and candles that Todd burned around the house, suggesting that one of those could be to blame. Following Linda's statements, investigators tested two towels that were found in the washing machine. Both tested positive for gasoline, but not the fuel used in the furnace. Shortly after the fire, Linda hired Jeffrey Getting, a defense attorney, and she kept him on retainer. The Sturmer sons told 48 Hours that their mother was hesitant to talk about the day of the fire and avoided talking about certain parts entirely. She evaded questions about the minivan running over Todd and insisted her boys should believe her but the boys weren't convinced, and they felt that her story just wasn't adding up. They said she would cry and look for sympathy from you and play the victim. After Todd's death, Linda and Chris, the man she may or may not have been having an affair with, brought their relationship out into the open. Over the next two years, the Van Buren County Sheriff's detectives investigated the fire and Todd's resulting death. They were looking at Linda as the perpetrator, and they dug into the Sturmer's troubled marriage and the injuries Todd received from the minivan. On June 5, 2009, prosecutors felt they had what they needed to press charges and to go to trial. Linda was charged with two separate counts of first-degree murder, premeditated murder, and felony murder based on an underlying arson. 
The defense attorney that Linda put on retainer two years earlier had no experience representing people charged with felony murder with a predicate felony of arson. This would be his first time trying such a case. Jeffrey Gettings' first order of business was to try and get the evidence gathered in the fire examiner's investigation thrown out of court. However, this failed, as Leroy was found to have not only the proper qualifications to make him a fire expert, he had many years of experience. He had even taught courses and was a published author on the subject of fire. Leroy's methods were found to be sound, and it was determined that there was no reason to exclude his investigation or his testimony. On January 5th, 2010, almost three years to the day after the fire, Linda's trial began. The prosecution presented their argument, saying that the Sturmer marriage was in trouble, and Linda wanted out of the marriage so she could openly be with her boyfriend, Chris. The prosecution continued, saying that Linda rendered Todd unconscious, either using sedatives or knocking him out with a blow to the head while he napped. They believed Linda then soaked him with gasoline and set him on fire. After he escaped the house, Linda ran him down with the minivan to ensure that he died. During their presentation of the case, the prosecution dissected Linda's initial statements. They pointed out that it was very convenient that the keys were already in the minivan, especially as two of the Sturmer sons said this isn't where she usually kept the keys. They also pointed out that Linda had not one but two cell phones, and both were in the van. The prosecutor asked why Linda didn't call 911 from one of the phones if they were both within reach. The prosecution had multiple witnesses testify for them, including the fire investigator, Todd's mother, and the neighbors who were on scene the day of the fire. A former co-worker of Linda's named Kate also testified for the prosecution. Kate and Linda had carpooled together most days. And during their twice-daily chats, they became quite close. Kate said that Linda confided in her about her marriage and shared that she was very unhappy and she had contacted a divorce attorney. She told Kate about the emotional and physical abuse she suffered at the hands of her husband. According to Kate's testimony, about four months before the fire, Linda was talking to Kate about alternate methods of ending her marriage, and she spoke openly about killing her husband. She talked about shooting him and running him over with a car. Kate, concerned that Linda wasn't making idle threats, contacted the police who went to the Sturmer home. After the fire, Linda told Kate she wanted to go back to the house to get a coffee cup that may still contain traces of the sedative she'd planned on giving Todd. However, on cross-examination, Kate said she was no longer friends with Linda. The friendship ended after Linda changed shifts and they no longer carpooled. Kate was hurt by this as they had agreed to switch shifts together, but Linda had done it without her. A few months later, Kate and Linda got into a disagreement over money that turned physical. According to Kate, Linda owed her money to the tune of $5,000. Kate was charged with assault following the altercation. On cross, Kate also admitted that she struggled with her mental health, and she had been admitted to the hospital for psychiatric care twice including January of 2007. The prosecution also called two jailhouse informants to the stand. Veronica Tracy testified to overhearing a conversation between Linda and another inmate. 
During that conversation, Veronica overheard Linda mumbling something about hitting her husband with a frying pan and saying she was sorry. On cross, the defense asked if she was sure it was Linda who said that, and Veronica admitted that she couldn't be sure. She may have only heard Linda say she was sorry. As with Kate's testimony, the defense brought up Veronica's mental health struggles, and Veronica disclosed that she wasn't on medication while in jail. The other informant, Dardata Gordon, said she was in jail with Linda, and she had heard Linda recount the events in several different ways. One day, Linda told her that she and Todd had argued on the day of the fire, and then Linda said she hit him in the head with something and then started the fire. On cross, Dardata's mental health struggles were brought up, as well as her memory problems stemming from her diagnosed disorders. She also said on the stand that the officer who interviewed her in October of 2009 was looking for a statement to use in court, brought up Linda hitting Todd with a frying pan. Dardata said it was only after it was suggested to her that she remembered Linda saying she hit Todd with something. Then it was the defense's turn to present their case. They stated that the fire was set by Todd, either accidentally or on purpose. They brought up the two previous house fires, both of which were declared likely arson. They did not, however, bring in their own fire expert to refute Leroy's testimony, the testimony they worked to get disincluded from the trial. The defense also didn't present any evidence to support the theory of the fire being accidental or anything besides the two previous fires to suggest that Todd was the arsonist. Regarding Linda hitting Todd with the minivan, the defense said it was accidental, something that happened as Linda was frantically trying to go for help. The defense called multiple witnesses whose testimonies were designed to discredit the prosecution's witnesses, including Kate's brother, who called her untrustworthy and said he believed she would lie to get revenge and other inmates who said that Linda and Dardata never spoke. Others were called as character witnesses for Linda. They all said she was an honest and peaceful woman. Notably absent from the witness stand was Linda, who chose not to testify in her own defense. On the day of closing arguments, the prosecution said, Linda has told lie after lie after lie. As you look at the evidence in this case, Everything points to Linda. Everything. There is nothing to suggest that it points to Todd. And if you think you might have reasonable doubt, it has to be a doubt based on a reason. Ask yourself what reason it would be. What reason is there to believe that Todd was responsible in some way for his own demise? Is there anything that we've heard other than from a liar? And even then, not a real good story. Not a story that would lead us to believe that to believe that there is any reason to believe that Todd caused this. I would suggest that there is nothing. I would suggest that we are dealing with a diabolical, scheming, manipulative liar and a murderer. Any statement of any consequence that she has made is suspect, either shown to be directly a lie, or common sense tells us it doesn't make any sense. I would ask you to return a verdict of guilty. The defense said in their closing statement that the evidence against their client was circumstantial and that the prosecution hadn't proven that the fire was intentional and they certainly hadn't proved that if it was intentional, it was set by Linda. The defense went on to say if the fire had been set intentionally, 
Todd was the likely culprit due to his history of having houses burned down. They also suggested that the insurance payout from the fire would help him financially as he was struggling with cash flow. During the prosecution's rebuttal, they stated there was no evidence that the other house fires had been arson, and they called the claims that they were nonsense. The jury deliberated for less than a day. On January 13, 2010, they returned their verdict and found Linda guilty of both murder charges, premeditated murder, and felony murder based on an underlying arson. At the February 8th sentencing hearing, the judge vacated the premeditated murder conviction because it was duplicative. For the other murder charge, she received a life sentence. The Sturmer children were split about the decision. The boys thought the jury made the right call, whereas the girls insisted they had gotten it wrong and their mom was innocent. As is the norm, appeals started right away. And, usually listeners, I would outline the appeals and say they led to nothing and the story would end there, but this is not a usual case. Although there were denied appeals, Linda's daughter Brittany begged another fire investigator, Robert Trenkel, to look into Leroy's findings. Trenkel reviewed the preliminary examination testimony, trial testimony, and written report and reached a different conclusion. He told 48 Hours that Leroy's investigation was absolutely not adequate, inadequate, just the opposite. In Trenkel's opinion, there was insufficient evidence to declare the fire an arson. Trenkel continued, discrediting the theory that an accelerant was used due to the speed of the fire. He said he interviewed dozens of firefighters and investigators, and they all agreed that someone who had been doused in gasoline would not make it out of the house after they had been set alight. When asked about the gasoline found on Todd's clothing, Trenkel said it was likely cross-contamination from the t-shirt that the neighbor covered Todd with. The neighbor worked with recycled auto parts, which was an avenue for him to get gasoline on his shirt, which then transferred on to Todd's clothing. There was also no gasoline on Linda's clothing, and he argued that it would be nearly impossible to have poured gasoline without it getting onto her as well. He said that multiple factors, such as what the house was built from, could also play a large role in helping the fire spread rapidly. He also said that, since the damage to the house was so severe, it was impossible to rule out every cause of an accidental fire. Leroy didn't test any of the debris that fell into the basement, and that could have given more evidence. Trenkel concluded that there wasn't enough evidence to prove that the fire was an act of arson, and, if it was arson, he felt that Todd would be the more likely culprit due to the burns indicating he was very near to the fire. Based on a 2016 petition for a writ of habeas corpus, Linda was granted an evidentiary hearing which was held in October of 2018. In the petition, Linda claimed the fire expert testimony was unreliable based on Trenkel's findings. The petition also claimed prosecutor misconduct due to them discrediting the witnesses, making Linda look like a liar, and ineffective counsel due to them failing to object to both the prosecutor misconduct and for failing to obtain their own fire investigator. In addition, Linda asked for her conviction to be reversed because the evidence was, quote, legally insufficient to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the fire was intentionally set or that Linda intentionally set the fire that resulted in the felony murder charge. The hearing was granted. 
Over two days, Linda took the stand to talk about her claims. Regarding her lawyer, Jeffrey Getting, Linda said she begged him to hire a fire investigator, saying she was happy to cover any cost, but Jeffrey refused, saying that the prosecutor's expert would also serve the defense's needs. Linda continued, saying that save for a couple of in-person meetings, her lawyer was unavailable and did not return her calls. These claims from Linda were backed up by her mother and daughter. Jeffrey testified and said he believed Leroy's testimony would support his argument. He admitted that he didn't hire an expert, even though he had very limited experience with arson cases. Trinkle testified in support of Linda, and he outlined his findings from his review of Leroy's information. He also pointed out in his testimony that an expert would have, at the very least, helped the attorney prepare for cross-examining Leroy. Throughout, Leroy maintained his position on the cause of the fire. The state called on another fire expert, Jack Hooker, who reviewed Leroy's investigation. Hooker found Leroy's methods were sound and up to industry standard. While he did not complete his own investigation, he agreed with Leroy's conclusions and said they were supported by the elimination of the living room fireplace as the origin point and the presence of gasoline on Todd's pants in the area where the fire started. He did caution that, regardless of if Linda or Todd set the fire, the evidence would look the same to an investigator. After considering the evidence presented, Linda was granted a new trial. The court found that the prosecutor had engaged in misconduct when they called Linda a liar nearly ten times during the trial, vouched for witness credibility, and, quote, grossly misstated the testimony at trial. In addition, they said that Linda had two cell phones in the car, which was later found to be untrue, and they said the two previous fires at Todd's home had not been arson. The court called these noteworthy and complete lies. According to a Portage Police report, the fire at Todd's Portage property was not only arson, Todd was the main suspect. The police report was in the possession of the prosecution, so they had access to this information when they said that Todd had never been suspected of arson. The court also found that Linda's lawyer was ineffective for not objecting to the prosecutor's misconduct and not hiring an expert witness. These errors denied Linda her constitutional right to effective assistance of counsel. The court continued by saying that the prosecution's case was not airtight. Even when working with the theory that the fire was arson, there was insufficient evidence linking Linda to the fire. The court argued there was also evidence that pointed to Todd, such as wanting the insurance money or wanting to get revenge for the affair. Todd was the one with a link to an arson case and two other house fires, plus the accelerant was on his pants and no accelerant was found on Linda. The court said, quote, This case represents a failure on the part of each of those responsible for a fair trial, the trial judge, the prosecutor, and the defense attorney. The judge, who did nothing to prevent the prosecutor from crossing the line and chose not to intervene when counsel ignored their duties to their respective clients, the prosecutor who undertook improper methods calculated to produce a wrongful conviction, and the defense attorney who sat idle while the prosecutor disparaged his client. The court then declared that a new trial must be set within the next 120 days, or Linda was to be released. The prosecution appealed the court's decision, but they did not set a new date. 
So in December of 2018, Linda was released from prison, but she remained on bond. After her release, Linda moved in with her daughter Ashley and obtained employment. A year after her release, the U.S. Court of Appeals affirmed the district court's grant of a conditional writ of habeas corpus, meaning that Linda is entitled to a new trial. In February of 2020, Linda spoke to the media for the first time. 48 Hours covered the case and interviewed many people that know Linda. Linda spoke of the events, the details of which have been covered in this episode. Linda's daughter, Ashley, revealed new information during her interview with 48 Hours. She said, I've never gotten to talk to anybody about this, so it's really hard for me. Ashley said that on January 6th, the night before the fire, then 20-year-old Ashley called the Sturmer home to speak to her mother. Ashley said that Todd answered the phone. He said, your mom's not here. And he's like, but I had a conversation with God. I'm not decided yet, but one of us is leaving in a body bag, and it's either me or your mom. A few months later, on June 10th, the prosecution announced their plans to retry Linda. Linda's new defense requested that Leroy and one of the prison informants, Dardata Gordon, not be allowed at the retrial. This request was denied and the decision was appealed. The defense argued that Leroy's methods didn't adhere strictly to the National Fire Protection Association guidelines and therefore his testimony was unreliable. The defense argued, because this case is a little bit older, the scientific principles at the time are not the same as they are now. In this case, Leroy's particular methodology was very speculative and the things that he did have now been completely considered inappropriate by the fire investigation community. Dardata's exclusion request was for an entirely different reason. She had passed away, and Linda would not be able to confront her in court, which is Linda's constitutional right. Any evidence from Dardata would have to come from the original trial transcripts, and the defense argued that cross-examination wasn't sufficient, as since she was deceased, could not be redone. However, the court ruled on March 16th of this year that the two testimonies could be allowed in at a new trial. As of this recording, a new trial date has not been set for Linda Sturmer. She remains free on bond, and this case is far from over. We may revisit this case if there is a new trial, and I'll certainly be following it closely in the news. I'm Nina Instead, the producer and voice behind the Already Gone podcast. I appreciate you listening, and please, be safe. Be safe.